Well, if you are new to our church, um, welcome. It's, it's great that you're here. We're, we're going to be uh, coming across a real key milestone here in just two weeks. In just two weeks, we're going to mark 10 years of Sunday services. Wow. That, that is amazing. Um, yeah, we had our first service on September 9th, 2007 over at the Chippewa Middle School Auditorium. Many of you were there for that. And I, I hope you can make it here next week because what we're going to do is next week, I've, I, we've set it aside. We're not just talking a, like a trip down memory lane. But what I want to do next, next week is really press into what is it that we've learned? What has God t- taught us in this season that we've been in? that it's going to have significance in the season ahead. So I'm really excited if you can make it next week. Um, and if you miss it, make sure you look online because it's, uh, it, I think it's going to be a milestone for us as well, that, that reflection. And then I hope you can make it in two weeks. Like Caitlin was talking about, we're going to have a big party to celebrate God's faithfulness. We'll kick off our kids' programming that down there at the pavilion. They're going to have all kinds of awesomeness. So we hope you can join us for that. That's what's ahead. Let's talk about today. Today is part four in a four-part series that's called As You Are. And our jumping off point for this series was a a message that was given more than 3,000 years ago. A message that's 3,000 years old. It was delivered to a people who were about to enter a promised land, a land that was overflowing with potential. And their leader, Moses, he was the one that gave this message and and he did his best to challenge God's people to to, to, um, seize this opportunity for all that it was. And his words were captured in what we now call the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament section of our Bible. And for the last three weeks, we've been making the case that in Deuteronomy, there is a treasure here for us. There is a treasure of wisdom and also warnings about promised land living and how that applies to us today. Well, do we have any kids here with us? You put your hands up, kids. Great that you're here with us. I started talking about treasure, and I was writing that in my notes, and I was thinking, treasure, what might be a way to connect the kids? And I thought, treasure, I'll bring some of the most delicious treasure there is. Up here, we got lollipops, but these aren't just any lollipops. These are ring pop lollipops in sorted flavors yes they are and so right up here we've got this this treasure that is representative of what we're talking about here today so let's say that these ring pops represent something we really 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 want and they're right over there close enough almost to grab right Well, what we've been talking about in this series is the life that our soul longs for most. That's what we've been talking about. A life that's filled with purpose. A life that's filled with peace and joy. A life where you can sense that I'm becoming the person that I was created to be. Aren't those good things? Those are the things that our soul longs for most deeply. Well, let's say that what we want, it's kind of like that. It's right there. And we have a choice. Are we going to go experience it or are we going to stay stuck where we are? And as I was thinking about those things, I was thinking the kids are going to be with us. I thought, let me bring up a toy. There was a toy that came out. At least it seemed like it came out right around the time I was a kid. And, and I found a commercial for it. It's called a sit and spin. Maybe some of you guys can remember this. 1977, sit and spin. Here it is. Look how much fun that is. They join in, they join in, spin and spun with 
that commercial but there was another one like some kids go when they sit and spin i couldn't find that commercial but i remember seeing a commercial when i was a kid going that looks so fun you know and we didn't have the money in our our family budget to buy the big toys like that at at that time in our lives so i was thinking well wouldn't it be just incredible if someday i could have a chance to sit and spin that would just be the best well one day we went up to visit my grandma ida up in up in popple creek minnesota and, and it came into our house and there was a sit and spin and it was open. No one was using it. And I'm like, this is the best. So I hopped on that thing and I started sitting and spinning. And you know what I discovered after about two minutes? Sit and spins get really old real quick. And there was a reason why none of my cousins were sitting and spinning. And I'm like, I'm done with this. And I moved on to, to other things. I wanted to go experience life at the farm. Well, here's where I'm going with all of this, this very loose tie in here. Um, in week one of this series, we talked about a cycle and I'm using slightly different words now because I quoted Britney Spears and I promised never to do that again last time. So this, this is a cycle that a lot of people find themselves caught in. It's a cycle where we experience something that is real with God and, and it inspires us to want to make changes. It could be a great church service. It could be a great conference. It could be a camp. It could be a retreat. It could be a miracle that happened in our life. It could be a tough time where we said, I'm not going to find myself here again. Something happens and we say, God, I am all in. Whatever you say, I will do. Wherever you call me to go, I'll go. There's something in there that says my life is going to be different now because of what I experienced. And then life happens. And we get a little further removed from that event. And we find ourselves here. I'm right back where I started. And there's a lot of folks, and I think all of us who've had those kind of experiences have experienced something like this before, where we have this experience that says, now life is going to be different, and then we find ourselves right back where we started. And what this series has been about is how do we make the most of the potential that lies before us? We live in a promised land. Never before in the history of humankind has there been a, a, a group of folks who've had this much potential before them, specifically in the Christian faith, to learn and to grow all these resources that are literally available at our fingertips? How do we make the most of this season that all of us have right here, right now, to make the most of these opportunities before us? How do we make the most of this promised land as a place where we can grow and mature and level up in our faith? Well, Moses had a lot to say to those people as they were about to enter their promised land. And we're going we're gonna to do the best we can to ask these questions here today as we wrap up this series. Well, we've got a lot to cover today. So please take out your notes, and I encourage you to write this down right here in these green sheets. First thing I encourage you to write down is this. Home can become the primary place where faith is formed. And you may even want to circle some words. You may want to circle home can be the place where the primary place where faith can be formed. You may want to circle primary place. You may want to circle all of those. Because Jesus taught his disciples that he was the way and he was the truth and he was the life. And they believed that. And they put it into practice. So much so that when people saw the early Christians, they called them the way. Because their way was different than the ways of the people around them. Their entire lives were increasingly being, being conformed to, to the example and teaching of Jesus. And there are 
countless examples of the difference that that can make in not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Last year, I read a great book called uh, Today Matters by John Maxwell. And in the book, he included a chapter on the importance of family. And in that chapter, Maxwell contrasted two studies. In the first study, it was done by a man named Richard Dugdale. 1874 is when he did the study. Mr. Dugdale was chosen to inspect 13 county jails in New York. And he got to this one particular jail and he noticed that there were six blood relatives in that jail. And it wasn't because all six of them did the same crime together. They were there for different crimes. And he's like, how did this happen? So he did a study and he researched and he said, what was it about that family tree where he had this many bad apples falling from it? So intrigued, he decided to study that family and publish his findings using the fictional name Jukes to protect their identities. Well, he traced all six relatives back to a man named Max, who was born in the early 1700s. Max was a heavy drinker. He had low moral standards and a really poor work ethic. And here's a snapshot of his family legacy. This guy studied 709 descendants of Max, and he found that 180 were paupers. And that was a technical term that he used to say these people were dependent on others for their basic needs. They had to have others care for their housing, their food, those types of things. He also found 140 of these descendants were convicted criminals. 60 of them were habitual thieves. And for the sake of the kids, 50 are, quote, paid escorts. Well, in his book, Maxwell then went on to contrast this family tree with another family tree. He contrasted the Jukes family tree with a pastor named Jonathan Edwards, who was also born in the 1700s, who also lived in the New York area, and who was, instead of Max, he was a devoted family man of high character. We'll take a look at this legacy. In this study, he was able to find 1,400 descendants that he could look at their lives, and he found that 13 of them became college presidents, 65 became professors, 100 became lawyers, including a law school dean, 30 became judges, 66 became physicians, including a medical school dean, and 80 of them became holders of public office, including three U.S. senators, three mayors of large cities, three governors, a controller of the U.S. Treasury, and a U.S. vice president president back in the day where those used to be considered good things. (laughs) Now, I decided to fact check Maxwell online, and I found that the numbers were very different based on who was quoting this series. And you can look that up yourself, or or these studies. Lots of different numbers, but every single one of the ones I looked at concluded the same two main things. That the Jukes family legacy was tragic. It was tragic how that one life set in motion all these other things. And it also, all of, the, all of the sources agreed that the Edwards family legacy was inspiring. That there was something about that life that inspired lives around him. Our daily lives can become the primary place where faith is formed and lived out. It can But let me take that one step further, and I'd encourage you to write this down. This is even more important than the other. Home must become the primary place where faith is formed. I'll repeat that. 
Home must become the primary place where faith is formed. Authentic Christianity, it is holistic. You can't do Christianity part-time. At least not authentic Christianity. You can't. Jesus himself taught that the most important, the most powerful experiences in our lives, they won't bring about lasting change if the soil of our daily lives is shallow or if it's filled with weeds and thorns. So as I said when we started this series, whether you live alone or with roommates, whether you are newlyweds or empty nesters, whether you have a traditional family or a blended one, whether you live in a house or an apartment or a condo or a van down by the river. Imagine what your life could be like if you could break free from sit and spin cycles. Imagine if you could continually level up in your faith, not every single day because there's going to be setbacks, but overall, imagine if you could keep getting more and more mature in your walk. Imagine if you could grow deeper roots, roots over time, not ruts, deeper roots. (laughs) Isn't that the opposite, right, of what happens? Deeper roots and reach new levels of spiritual maturity. Imagine if year after year you could hear God's voice with greater clarity. Wouldn't that be fun? And you could experience his presence and guidance more consistently. Imagine if the way that you were living your life was causing more and more people to look at you and say, whatever you have, I want that. I want that. Well, I got good news for us. God wants that for us too. That's precisely what he wants. He wants us to experience a better way a way that is inspiring. God wants to help. He always has. You've been called. You've been chosen. You've been given this opportunity that nobody else has been given to make the most of this promised land all around us, to live this season of your life well. Well, as we stand on the threshold of September with countless would-be weeds and thorns vying for our attention, Let's hear these words of God. Let's put them into practice as we bring this series to a close. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up one last time for this series to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This has been our jumping off point for all of our messages. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 1. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. Each and every week, we try our best to keep a stack of those at that table. They're there for you. So thank you uh, for those who set them out every week. And please take one home if you don't have a Bible at home. Here we go. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. This is what we talked about and looked at in week one of the series. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and it may, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey and ring pops and all kinds of good things. So this was the promise that we focused on in week one of the series. And we reflected on how hard it is to be a promise keeper in a promised land. 
how easy it is to fall in that cycle when there's so many distractions. Well, in week two, we continued reading and, and we pressed into this. Pastor Jason led us on an exploration of what comes next. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And in his message, Pastor Jason emphasized the centrality of this passage to everything, to everything that is true about Christianity and Judaism, along with the, wonder, the importance of clearing out the junk to make room for the wonderful. Love that. Love that. Well, in week three, we continued reading and we pressed into these things. Pastor Dan led us through this. Picking up with verse six. And these words that I command you today, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Pastor Dan said, let's apply this to our own lives. Let's seek to redeem our routines. Isn't that a great phrase? Redeem our our routines. And so he walked us through how do we effectively integrate the life, the way of God into our daily lives. Things like waking up, brushing our teeth, commuting to school or work, answering me email, eating meals. All right, well, now we're going to continue on from there. Chapter 6 continues with a warning. With a warning. Picking up with verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of good things that you didn't fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget about the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, by his name shall you swear." You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. He's a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you Come off the face of the earth. Verses 17 through 18 say this. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimony and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. And here's that phrase again that it may go what? Well with you. That's the end game for us, that it may go well with us. Not that we get to miss out on all the fun, but that we can experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. And I'll tell you this, when I get caught up in the sit and spin cycle, things don't go well for me. And they don't go well for those around me. Well, as we bring this series to a close, let's turn our attention to how we move beyond good intentions, that it may go well with us. Because once again, God wants to help. Wants to help. It's all over Deuteronomy. Here's Deuteronomy 31.6. And this one is almost repeated word for word, two verses later. And not because, oh, how do I fill up this report for my teacher? No, this is the word of God. Deuteronomy 31.6. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And we need to grab hold of that truth with everything we got, don't we? That he will never leave us or forsake us. We've got to grab hold of that, that he goes with us wherever we are. Whether we're at a cancer treatment center in Houston, 
whether we are at home listening to this on the podcast, whether you're at work or you're at school, wherever you are, God goes with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. If we're feeling the weight of a relationship that's strained or the fear of a clock that's ticking or a test result that's forthcoming or a prodigal that's running towards a cliff, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. At school, thank you. At school, at work, at home. And where we see this promise most vividly of God's faithfulness is in the fact that he sent his son. And I wish that I could give homework because there's two things that I would, I would give as homework today. I'll give you one of them right now and I'll give you the other one in a bit. One of them I would give you as homework, I would say, everyone read Exodus, then read Deuteronomy, then read Matthew chapter 1 through 7. Do them in succession. Because I ended up doing that as part of this series and that whole thing about God sending his son and that fulfilled the Old Testament, it just came alive all together again. If you want the 4K Alter HD version of what I'm about to say, do that. Read Exodus, read Deuteronomy, read Matthew uh, chapters 1 through 7, back to back to back. Because God was with Moses in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and we see this. And then in the early chapters of his gospel, Matthew makes it clear. In fact, chapter 1, God is with us. It's Matthew that makes that connection that he should be called Emmanuel, God with us. In Exodus, Pharaoh couldn't kill Moses. In Matthew, Herod couldn't kill the Christ. In Exodus, frankincense and myrrh, they're these key ingredients in sacred fragrances that are only for God. And what did the wise men bring? Jesus, the Christ child, frankincense, myrrh. Exodus chronicles the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. Matthew 2, 15 records the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy out of Egypt. I have called my son. The list goes on and on. There are parallels between the Red Sea and the Jordan River. There are parallels between the failure of the Israelites in the wilderness and the victory of Jesus in the wilderness. There's parallels between Moses' sermon on Mount Sinai and Jesus' sermon on a mountain in Galilee. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. Amen. And so I'm reading Exodus and I'm reading how when you have your firstborn son, you're to redeem them through the sacrifice of a lamb. And I'm going firstborn son became the lamb so that all of us could be adopted as sons and daughters and not have to get everything perfect like they were called to in Deuteronomy. Wow. And think about this. The very last words of Jesus recorded in Matthew are the words, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That wasn't just something for those people at that time. That's a promise for you and I. But here's the thing. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But you know what he'll let you do? He'll let you, let us leave or forsake him. That's your choice. You can go your own way. And there's consequences for that. There's blessings and curses. There's life and death. That's what we see in Deuteronomy. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. So here's the other piece of homework I'd give you if I could. Take all these things you've been talking about for the last three weeks and go do some gardening. It all comes together. You want to live this out? Everything you need to know, you can find in the garden. Wow, 
I took on a project a couple weeks ago. I'm not a gardener. Oh, man, so far from that. I, uh, I took on a project a couple weeks ago that brought this entire series together for me. And it involved our yard. When we bought our little house in Turtle Lane West, the people that had owned this house, they were really into gardening and not of the variety of a nice little piece of land where you put in some carrots and stuff, right? It was the whole yard was landscaped with all these really cool things. It was just absolutely amazing. Well, gardening was their thing. And our neighbors on both sides said, oh yeah, they were in the garden. They were in their yard every day, every day when they get home from work. That was their thing. Gardening's not my thing. Gardening's not Laura's thing. So what do you think our yard looked like eight years later of neglecting that? Man, and one of the things they did is on either side of our driveway, they took these, these big stones and they made these huge islands running the whole length of our, dri- of our driveway on both sides. And they put all this stuff in there. They put all these like pines in there and bushes and, and all, these, all these things. I don't even know all the names of these things. I don't even know the names of most of them or half of them or even, okay. I hardly know. I don't know the names of any of them. <laughs> all right. Well, again, gardening was not our thing. So what do you think happened? to that landscaped portion of our yard on both sides of our driveway. If driveways had theme songs, the theme song of our driveway would be welcome to the jungle. That's what it would be. And I don't have a picture of what the before and after looked like because we're still working on the after and I didn't think to do the before because it wasn't until I got everything ripped out where I'm like, this is what we're talking about at church. I could use this for a sermon illustration. So I didn't take a picture of, of, of that as much as here's what a part, part of our front yard looks like now. This is another part that we haven't touched yet. And it probably just looks like a green blur from the back, but there's good stuff in there. There's these things called hydrangeas. I learned what those are called. And, and there's some other stuff that's good that I don't know the names, but there's a ton of weeds and stumps and all this mess. This is what our life looks like when we don't attend to it, isn't it? If you just go on autopilot, isn't this what life looks like? It gets filled up with all this stuff, some good, some not so good. This is our life if it's not attended to. And that is not as bad as the sides of our yard look like when we didn't attend to them. And just a quick side note is we're starting to talk now about weeds and and grass and all this kind of stuff. In two weeks, we're going to start talking about screens. And can I just say to everybody here, Be careful how much time you spend in the virtual world because we have a God who created the real world. And and in this real world, he didn't just create it. He said, hey, that thing I created, I'm trying to teach you something from it. And so things like weeds and seeds and sun and moon and stars and fire and sheep and goats the more we move to virtual understandings of them and not up-close personal understandings, the further we get from some of these teachings that God had for us. So that's we're going to press into that in a couple, couple weeks. All right, well, as I was literally working on seeds and soil, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is how this works. This is, you bring this teaching home. And this is, this is what you learn. I realized this is what we're talking about. And I experienced spiritual growth as I was digging holes and, and ripping up all of this stuff. So as we bring this series to a close, here are five things I've learned about moving beyond good intentions from Moses, Jesus, and my front yard. Here you go. The first one, we'll spend a little bit of time, then we're going to move really, really fast. Number one, how do you move beyond good intentions? Choose life and choose not death. And that's not a typo. Because we need to choose both those things. 
Deuteronomy gives us a choice between life and death. We have to choose life and we choose not death. Let's put that into perspective if you're going to do a big project. So I knew this big project was coming up and it was going to be a lot of work because I don't know anything about gardening. There's also all these big rocks that all get to get moved. There's all these plants that need to get uprooted, including literal trees in there, right? There's all of the mulch. There's the weeds. There's, the, the, there's the, that stupid paper, that fabric that goes underneath the ground. Have you ever tried to pull that stuff up when it's been under there for a decade plus? It doesn't go... Anyway, so there's this huge project. And I know it is not going to be fun and is not in my, my normal skill set and, and all this kind of stuff. I realize I can't just go to Home Depot and get a sermon on how to make a better yard. I'm going to have to take those teachings home. And it's going to be hard. So what did I do? I tried to focus on both life and the not death. I pictured the life. Imagine next fall when all the leaves come down, they don't all get caught in those leaf traps. Oh, can you imagine that? Can you imagine how amazing that's going to be? Can you imagine I can just mow and then it's done? Three, four strips of the lawnmower and that's all I got to do that week on that piece of property. So I I was trying to think, okay, choose life and choose not death. Think how amazing it's going to be for for me to no longer be bringing down the property value of our entire neighborhood because of my front yard, you know? And then even more so, choosing life, uh, choosing the not death. I mean, that thing had grown up to the point where grizzly bears were starting to move in. And, and my daughter going to school, she's there and they could jump out and get her. I mean, we had, to, we had to save my daughter. So this is choosing life, choosing not death. Why do I say that? I say that because change is going to be hard. It is so easy to conform to the patterns of this world. It was 3,000 years ago. It is today. If you're going to be serious about making change, if you're going to be serious about breaking out of those cycles, it's not going to be easy. Fix your eyes on both life and not death. Fix your eyes on, imagine if life could be like this and imagine if life no longer had to be like that. That's the starting point. And isn't that best practice? That's best practice. The grace is certainly a higher octane fuel, but I will be the first to admit that it was the fear of the Lord that kept me from crossing a lot of lines and still does today. And the best classroom teachers promise A's and F's. The best managers promise promotions and terminations. The best parents leverage positive and negative consequences. And God says, choose life or choose death. And yet there's people who don't want us to talk about both sides of that coin when it comes to faith because it doesn't sound nice and it doesn't sound loving. And as I was working on this, I was vividly remembering a conversation I had when we had to do a a really hard series as a church. We don't duck hard series here as this church. And four years ago, there was so much discussion going on about marriage and people were quoting Bible verses ridiculously out of context on all sides of this thing. And so we're like, you know what? This is a topic we have to bring to bear because very few people are having any kind of real discussion of what the Bible does and doesn't say. And so we made a decision. We were going to put this series on the calendar and many of you are here for it. And someone came up before the series started and they said, Chris, that is one of the most unloving things you can do is to have that series. And they said, we should take a cue from, um, from St. Augustine and teach people to love God and do what you will. And like, does it work that simple? If Deuteronomy teaches us anything, doesn't it teach us that loving God and commandment keeping are two sides of the same coin? 
You know, and if you're not familiar with the scriptures, here's, here's what Deuteronomy says about these kind of things. It says this, and now Israel, this is out of Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and walk in his ways? And look at this, walking in his ways and to what? To love him. Are, are, are walking in his ways and loving him two different things? No, it's all part of the same thing. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. I, I, I'll, I'll offer you this challenge. I haven't proof texted with every page of Deuteronomy and every Bible edition that's out there, but I will, I will offer this challenge. Take your Bible, open up to Deuteronomy and just close your eyes and put your finger anywhere in Deuteronomy. And within inches of where you put your finger down, on almost every section of Deuteronomy, you're going to find a passage like this that talks about the relationship between loving God and, and, and honoring him through our lives. It's just that's how it works. Here's an example, another example. Deuteronomy 13, 3 through 4. For the Lord your God, he's testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall fear him and serve him and hold fast to him. You know who quoted Deuteronomy a lot? Jesus. And Jesus taught us what it means to, to have fulfilled these verses. But he, he also said, if you love me, these are Jesus' words, you'll obey my commandments. That's what, what Jesus said. Deuteronomy contains countless warnings like this one. Beware lest among you, uh, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Pride and entitlement are dangerous traps. They're dangerous traps. Jesus once told a story about a landowner who entrusted people to look after his vineyard. And those people in that promised land started thinking it was their own and acting like it was their own. If you want to move beyond good intentions, fix your eyes on these promises of God. Promises for, for those who choose life and promises for those who go their own way. All right, let's go through these next ones really fast. How do we move beyond good intentions? Clear out the weeds and the non-wheat. Both of these things. There were a lot of weeds in those two sections lining our driveway, but there was a lot of good stuff in there too. But guess what? I took all the good stuff out and just put in grass. Because you can fill your life with so many good things that you don't have space for the great. If you want to make your home a place where faith is formed, make the best decisions you can to clear out the junk. And as you're clearing out the junk, clear also out the good things that keep you from the best. Here's something I was reminded of too as I was working on my own lawn. Okay, so here is kind of an after picture and it might be hard to see from the back, but you see that that's the, there's where the two things were and I pulled out all the stuff and what did I have left when I pulled out all the stuff? Dirt. And you can get to step one and step two and you can uproot all these things in your life and guess what that would look like if you just left there? What would it look like? The weeds would all be back, right? Because you don't have to invite weeds in. They just come. They just invade. So number three is this. How do you move beyond good intentions? Once you've been uprooted and you cleared out this space, plant good seed and tend to the soil. Oh, again, I wish I could assign homework because this whole series becomes so clear when you just look at the, the ground. You don't get good grass if you don't plant good seed. The weeds, they're just going to show up. It's what they do. And they're going to take over if you're not diligent. 
Verses like this come alive when you bring church home. Deuteronomy 4.9 says this, Take care and keep your soul diligently. Reflecting on that verse while weeding your yard can drive this truth home more than any sermon I could ever give. All right, so once the seed is planted, the soil is being tended to. Number four, this is so important, remain faithful. Don't give up, even if you don't see the results right away. Be faithful, keep at it. When it comes to personal growth, you might just feel like all I'm doing is pouring water on dirt. I uprooted these things. I've added these things like reading the Bible and stuff that that you said is good for me. It doesn't feel like anything is happening different. Let me offer you one last picture here that might give you hope. This was my yard several days ago. Little green things poking up through the soil. It took the longest time. I was like an expected parent going, well, you know, it's going to happen. Trust God in this. He'll be faithful to his promises. If we plant the good seed and till to the soil, remain faithful. You can't force growth. I came across a poem of all things that of, 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 of how this works. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives over, over time is it brings this growth. The, 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 the poem says this, No, it is not yours to open buds into blossoms. Isn't that good? What happens? You try to rip open a flower. You have to give it time. It is God who makes things grow. But you and I can be faithful to this. There's a quote by a guy named James Smith. Micro practices have macro implications for our lives. Can I get an amen? And over time, reading our Bible, prayer, serving, making God-honoring choices can make a huge difference in your life. Let me close with this story, and then I'll give you our last point. True story. I was reading a book um, preparing for our screen series. And, and in this book, as I'm reading it, I've just started this one. And, and he, I'm reading this. I'm going, this guy has a deep faith. You cannot write the things he's writing here. You know, you can tell the posers a lot after a while. But this guy, he really gets it. How does a person turn out like that? Especially as he starts to share about his story. And so here's a little of his story in his own words. Statistically, he should have ended up like the Jukes family tree. But he writes this. He says a few years, oh, I need to give you this background. Um, his parents divorced when he was really young. And mom had to bear the whole weight of raising four kids in a tough situation. So here's his own story in his own words. It says this, a few years after I graduated from college, I started to wonder how my mom managed to raise four great kids as a single parent. One day, she answered my question by taking me on a walk at a nearby park that we used to visit when I was growing up. As we were walking along, my mom stopped for a moment to point out a small pile of rocks a few yards off the main pathway. The pile was small enough that I hadn't noticed it at first. But when she pointed to it, I could see that it was human-made. The rocks obviously couldn't have gotten that way themselves. Someone had collected and arranged them. After looking at these rocks for a minute, I asked her, what is that? What is that pile? My mom started to talk about how hard it was on her when, her, when my dad left. She was crushed by the weight of raising us alone. Most of the time, the only thing she felt strong enough to do was to pray for us. So every day while we were off at school, she would walk out to this spot and pray for God to protect us. As God answered her prayers, she found some nearby rocks and she built this little altar 
to mark the place where God had been faithful to our family. Remember that Jonathan Edwards guys, guy that I opened with? This single mom was living and walking in a way at home that impacted her entire family and those around her. And as you see God doing that, being faithful to his promises, here's the last thing I want to encourage you to write in your notes. How do you move beyond good intentions? Give thanks and celebrate those milestones. Look at those little times when some little piece of green pops up through the dirt mess of your life and go, thank you, Lord, for that little win. Thank you that I didn't lose my temper. Thank you for this little piece here, this, this time where this one verse made a difference in my life. The same God who provides the soil, the seed, the sun, the same God who sends the rain and the seasons promises to never leave you or forsake you. So do your part, and as he does his, give him thanks and mark those milestones. How do we move beyond good intentions? How do we break free from sit and spin cycle? Choose life and not death. Clear out the weeds and the not wheat. Plant good seed, tend the soil, remain faithful. Give thanks and celebrate milestones. It's that easy. (laughs) No. It's that hard. But we're in this together, and there's a God who will never leave you and never forsake you. Let me pray and invite the band to help us seal this with a great song. Father, we're so thankful that you will never leave us or forsake us because it's not easy. The generation that Moses was speaking to failed. Most of us fail daily. And we're so thankful for your son whose sacrifice makes it possible for us to continually approach the throne of grace with confidence. And it's your spirit that you send into our lives to work in and through us. And you've given us one another to cheer each other on. So Lord, help us to seal this milestone of a song with a song and the milestones that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.